or spirit worship. And that's mixed in with Buddhism and uh, Tibetan Buddhism, which is actually very linked into uh, occult worship. They, uh, it's not pure Buddhism, it's linked in with animism. So it's spirit worship and, and Buddhism combined. It's, it's quite a, um, yeah, a spiritual stronghold there. Um, the population of the capital, just over a million. Um, everything seems to happen in the capital. Yeah, we'll just flick through these fairly quickly. Um, the, the city itself is actually um, growing very fast, and um, you'll have all sorts of fancy stuff there. I took this picture of uh, the state, um, what do they call it, the shopping center in the middle of uh, the capital. Yep, next one. And uh, it's just like walking to Myers or keep, keep going. I think there might have been a blank slide there. Yeah. Oh, we missed it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so going out of the city, you've got... Um, this is very typical of just herdsmen and uh, goats, horses, sheep. And uh, we've got workers doing some work amongst the, um, the nomadic folk. Um, these uh, little huts that you see are called gares. And um, they just up and moved just like a tent. Um, quite amazing. Uh, that's the main highway going out to the northwest. So no road signs. You just go by the hills and um, local knowledge. Uh, so everything is in the city itself. There's only a few cities around Mongolia that are, um, that are developed. Okay. And, uh, of course, the satellite dish there. Uh, everywhere you go, uh, you can get TV. Yep. Um, yeah, so these are just some of the shots. This is a fox the guy uh, shot um, looking after his sheep. And um, just wanted to see if we can get into... Okay, the work that WEC is doing there, we have a visa platform called Good Neighbours Society. So keep flipping through. We'll go through these fairly quickly. Um, and our visa, that's the team there, uh, the guy at the back and the, uh, with the baldish head, uh, Mark Jennings, is from Bunbury and is married to a uh, Korean girl, <coughs> Pilsoon. And um, went there uh, about 20 years ago to do church planting. When the Russians left, it opened everything up, so we were able to get in there and do church planting. And that is the first church that... Um, WEC uh, planted called Eternal Love Church and it's just amazing. I had the privilege of going there for the um, Sunday service, 300 people, um, strong independent church, sending out missionaries and doing daughter church planting. Um, and so the, the church actually has, uh, is mushroomed. And 20 years ago, there were four or five Christians in the whole of Mongolia. 20 years later, there's 40,000. So there's been a revival that's happened in the last 20 years. It's just been an amazing growth of the church there. Um, and so WEC is looking at still doing some church planting in the, in the northwest area, in the Ulves area, and the southeast uh, area, um, because the churches are very small and, and, and sparse in the country area, but in the city, they're, they're actually quite strong. Yep. We'll move on. Um, that's where we're located mainly. Uh, and also see that in Russia, in the top part there, at Siberia actually, 
um, it's so cold in Mongolia. I, was, I went there in spring. It was, this is only just in April, last month, uh, two months ago now almost. Um, it was minus 2.5. And they said, this is great. This is mild. It was snowing and I was rugged up. I bought a leather jacket there from the open market for 20 bucks. And, and it was so cold. But they said, this is nothing. Minus 35 degrees in winter. So cold, but in summer, plus 35 degrees. So it's a land of great contrasts. But in Siberia, um, we've sent three wekas to do church planting there amongst the northern Mongolians because the churches are very small. So it's an unreached people group. And Mongolia people themselves want to get there because they're northern Mongolians. They speak the same language. They're called the Buryats. And so we've targeted that as a, as a place where we want to send missionaries to. So hands up. Bring your thermals, bring your Bible, and we'll send you to Siberia. You know, we used to say when you're naughty, you go to Siberia salt mines, right? Well, now we're sending missionaries there. We've got three there already, and we're looking for more. Um, so some of the problems that we're dealing with, yeah, we'll flip through these, is alcoholism, uh, the, the breakdown of the family structure. Um, on the right picture is a, um, a uh, community centre, and so we work with the local government, to uh, help families and I spoke there on marriage and family because they have about eight families that are poor that are dysfunctional and we are tracking with them do activities together and evangelize outside of that we're actually not allowed to do it in the center because they're strict with our visas but we can follow them up in their gears and in their um, in their homes and we have a feeding program um, helping them with schooling yeah, we'll flip through these. Um, there's kindergarten. There's all sorts of projects that we can do because we actually have to have a visa platform to get in the country. But we, we need to do them anyway because we minister to the whole person and not just to their soul. Mobile library, see the packs on the side of the horse there? Um, so going around to the schools and families, lending libraries, um, and food distribution uh, in the poorer areas. And also, um, keep going, there's another one there that talks about uh, micro-loans and to the herdsmen to help them with some of their work. Okay, that's just the before and after shot of um, the community centre. Yep. And so, WEC have actually been able to buy that property. And so the boys in Battelle, which is a church planning work amongst drug addicts, they came and renovated it put a new roof on and painted it up and so that's the before and after shot. Uh, and a feeding program to help the, um, there's about 50 or 60 kids there that come four days a week to help them. Uh, they are very poor and so um, WEC have got these projects going to help them. Yep, there's some of the things I'd mentioned before. Okay, the Sunday School Support Centre, yep, is um, Pilsoon, uh, Mark's wife is actually a um, children's pastor from Korea so she's actually set up a, a training centre and a resource centre for the churches to, to do uh, Sunday school training Yep, and um, providing them with resources um, and so the church is going through these phases of you know it's pioneer church planting but now they're, they're at a stage where they're, they're becoming semi-independent so we're providing resources and training to help them to become independent yep and it was great just to uh, go and visit and see what they're doing there. And they work with the churches. 
We've also got a library and a, um, a bookshop which we can lend or sell books to the uh, Mongolian churches and do some translation work there as well. That's a guy from Switzerland, I think it is. That's a black cat on dark night. Um, yep. Yeah, it's a little... The PowerPoint I had... Okay, here we go. And, of course, the main emphasis of what we are focusing on is church planting and uh, working with the local churches there um, and baptism and discipleship is happening. Yep, so keep going. Um, also in uh, Mongolia, we have another team called Batel, and that's, a, as I said, a church planting work amongst drug addicts, but there's no drugs there in Mongolia. Well, there are, but that's not the main problem. The main problem is alcoholers, alcoholism. Uh, when the Russians left, they left their vodka behind, and so uh, it's rife right throughout Mongolia, and it affects the family. And so what we've got is a, um, a centre uh, just north of the capital. It's on the outskirts, and they actually have um, a, a farm where they raise and sell pigs. They have a men's centre. There's about 30 or 40 guys in this men's uh, discipleship centre, they, they start church within there. Yeah, we'll keep going. Um, just flip through. There should be some of Patel. Um, ah, we'll keep going because there might be something that'll come up. It, it worked this morning. Uh, let me just quickly tell you about it. Um, it's actually a... Um, it's the fastest growing Battelle Centre. There's 23 centres around the world that have started. Uh, it started about 24 years ago in Spain. Uh, I visited them in Spain, Italy, England, India, and Melbourne. Uh, Mongolia is the fastest growing one. And we often find that where the greatest need is, the greatest response is, and so the churches are able to develop quite fast. Um, so um, Gunbutt, the leader, has got a vision to go into China. Um, he actually went to India to train, and in four years, he's seen a women's centre develop, a men's centre, the farm, they've got a church, um, and they want to get into China. So it's, it's really, really exciting what's happening there. Um, and then to Korea. Uh, so it's not going to show it. Oh, another time. Korea was... Um, I, I was... Um, to use a colloquial phrase, gobsmacked, when I went to Korea. I've heard so much about what God did there, um, the largest church in the world, nearly a million people, um, the full gospel church, uh, Yonghi Cho, the, the Korean Presbyterian churches, some of the mega churches there. We went to one, 60,000 members, one church. It's just like a different world. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get over it, just what God had and is doing there in Korea is just amazing. Both in the Pentecostal, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what denomination. It's, God's really developed his church there. And they're so strong. They give so much. Um, we were at a meeting uh, when a girl shared a testimony. She was from North Korea. She is a refugee and she came through and... Um, you know, they're praying for North Korea. They're, they're sending container loads of food and material, and they're just praying for this unification of North Korea and South Korea. And they're just blessing North Korea. 
Uh, they're blessing Japan. Now, if you know the history of what happened to Korea, the Japanese brutalized Korea severely. And the senior pastor of one of these mega churches came and spoke to our conference. We were so humbled to have this guy. He's a 60,000-member church. And he came and spoke to us and shared about what they're doing in Japan, just blessing Japan and holding these evangelistic crusades. And uh, I just came away thinking, God, you're so good, what you're doing there. And the church have, have given so much, not just in material things, but in their people. And in fact, I'm surprised that there's not a Korean here amongst us, because everywhere I go, you know, I, I'm coming across these Koreans. Just within WEC, they mobilized 400 missionaries in 10 years. That's 40 a year. And at the conference, they were kicking themselves because it's gone down to 20 a year. I'm thinking, boy, if we can do 20 a year in Australia, it'd be fantastic. Um, but the, the new wave that's coming is not just from Korea and Brazil and Singapore. That's, that's, that's still there. The new wave of missionaries coming now is from China. You know, 100 million Christians in China, and they're wanting to send out missionaries. Mongolia is one of the fastest growing missionary sending countries per capita in the world today. And they're wanting to do missions. So WEC is now saying, do we do church planting or we do we send up a, a sending base to send out missionaries? And so we're doing both at, the, at this point in time. India uh, is sending out missionaries. Egypt from the Middle East, Africa. And so this conference is all about how can we accommodate the new wave of missionaries that are wanting to go and share the gospel to the unreached people groups in the world. China is wanting to go back to Jerusalem on that Silk Road, that trade route through Tibet, through India, through right back to Jerusalem, and they're wanting to, to share the gospel with these unreached people groups in that 1040 window. But they're from an underground church. They don't have the big structures and freedom like we do. How can we accommodate them? How can we motivate them and mobilize them into mission? So pray with us this is a, a major challenge it doesn't take away the responsibilities that we have as the western church we're so blessed and what i came away from korea was god bless korea and like abraham remember the top line bottom line i will bless you so that you can be a blessing and and korea have, have risen to the challenge and they've they've blessed the world really in many respects and and australia has new zealand england has but sometimes we, we kind of plateau off, both individually as a Christian walk, but as a church, um, sometimes we can get to that comfortable stage. And I want to share a little bit this morning about uh, coming back to that radical love um, on the road to Emmaus. So that's just enough for the uh, PowerPoint. I've got to be carried away there because it was just such an awesome privilege uh, to go to both Mongolia and Korea and see what God's doing. And uh, I wanted to share that with you as an encouragement uh, as well. Lynn's going to do a quick PowerPoint, uh, a quick uh, book review, and then uh, we'll share the word. Um, I don't know if this mic's on. My voice does usually carry at home anyway, <clears throat> mm -hmm. so I'll pretend you're my children. <laughs> um, just a few books that WEC now has. Um, Operation World, this is the new edition. Some of you may already have a copy of that or have seen it. If you don't, um, we have them here for $15. We don't have the CD um, in any of these books anymore. We don't have that edition, but these ones are brilliant for praying. Um, Jim mentioned Mongolia, and it 
Um, if you've followed Operation World over the last 15 to 20 years, you'll see from where it's come and now what's written in it today about the church in Mongolia and how it's grown. So it's very interesting to see how God has answered prayer. Lots of information for schoolies as well, school kids, geography, politics, um, governments, all that sort of thing is in here as well as the different people groups that are in these um, specific countries. And answered prayer and prayer needs that are still coming up. Now, Jim just mentioned that um, WEC is coming up to 100 years next year. This book, Whatever Happened to CT Studs Mission, that is um, all about WEC. Um, it's not a bi- biography as such, but if you're interested in WEC's history and beginnings and where we are now, then um, grab a copy of that. Um, this is also um, a, the story of CT Studd and his wife Priscilla. Um, This is a biography, so if you're interested in something like that, I've got a couple of copies of those. And um, the last one I want to mention this morning is um, written by Susan Sutton. Susan Sutton is the wife. She and her husband are the international leaders of WEC. They're based in Singapore. She's just written a book um, last year, I think this one was written, Um, how has your walk with Christ become a duty rather than a passion? And it looks um, at the deeper life of our relationship um, with God. And she and her husband were missionaries for 13 years in Chad. So she's got a lot of experiences to share. Uh, um, I haven't read this one yet. I've got two others of hers as well. So I'm, they're just new. So I'm um, looking forward to reading them myself. So just a few. There's a couple more books on the um, Um, table as well and there's also some free literature if you're interested in getting that thank you thank you lynn well let's open god's word and look at the uh, passage that was read to us earlier uh, from luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 35 Um, the story of the road to emmaus um, before we do that, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you um, just for the reflection uh, of this story of how you met these two men on the road to Emmaus, and we want to invite you to come and meet with us this morning as we fellowship around your word, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to captivate our thoughts to the obedience of Christ and that you would speak to us, anoint our eyes and ears and hearts and minds to hear what it is that you have to say to us, that we might follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, have you, have you ever been in love? Can you remember back, or maybe you don't have to remember so far back, maybe it's still in the present, which is even better, of when you first fell in love, and, um, you know, the sweaty palms and the butterflies in the stomach and the rehearsed lines that you're going to say and kind of all comes out wrong. And, and then you've been in this relationship where you um, get to know this person and you want to just spend more time with them and that develops into a, a long-term relationship until you want to just do everything with that person and, and spend the rest of your, your life with them. I remember making uh, my proposal to Lynn. I was in Melbourne. 
She was in Perth and it was over by the phone. I was in Bible college, didn't have enough money to fly back. And um, everything just went wrong, you know. Just, I was so nervous and had a coin-operated phone and Lynn, would you clunk? Oh. And it just it wasn't very romantic. I have to do it again sometime to make up for it. But <laughs> it, was, it was like... Um, and that developed into a, a relationship which uh, took us to some weird places like Thailand and Cambodia. Um, and the Bible describes that kind of love. There's three words that uh, the Bible describes love as. And that word filio is the kind of love that I just talked about. It's that, that friendship uh, love that we have for each other. It describes um, Jesus' love in John eleven thirty six, his love for Lazarus. Uh, they said, my, how he loved him. Um, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, it was a filio kind of a intimate love. But there's two other words that the Bible uses for the word love. One is eros, where we got the English word erotic, which is a sexual love between husband and, and wife. But the, the word mostly used in the New Testament is the word agape, which is God's love for us. In Romans 5.8, it's a sort of love uh, where while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. It loves irrespective of the object that it's loving. It's an unconditional love. It's a, it's a love also that we have been asked to give back to God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I guess my question this morning then is, how do you arrive at that deeper love? The love that God has for us, how can we love him in response? Do we just like wake up one morning and say, I'm going to love God? It's not, it's not like that. It's not like that with relationships between um, us as well. It's a journey. And I, I want to just look at this passage in, um, in the light of a journey towards radical love, towards Jesus. And the first stage I want us to look at is called the broken stage. And it's where Jesus meets these two travelers. We don't know much about them. Cleopas was the name of one and his friend or possibly a wife, we're not really sure, um, but they were on their way to Emmaus, which was about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. And the Bible describes, if you, if you look at the passage in verse 17, the Bible describes them as um, looking sad. They were without hope. And it was at this stage of brokenness that Jesus comes into their lives. And it's often at this stage of brokenness in our lives where we can be awakened to have a different relationship with Christ, a, a, a more deeper, radical relationship, depending on how we respond to him. C.S. Lewis described it like this. He said, God whispers to us in our circumstances, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to raise a deaf and dying world. And if you remember the, um, the story of, of Peter in John 21, 
when Jesus met Peter at his broken stage, just remember that Peter had said, I'm not going to deny you, Christ. And Jesus said, you will, three times before the cock crows, you'll deny me. And so he went back to what he knew best, <clears throat> and that was fishing. And it was there at the, at the shore of Galilee that Jesus met Peter at his broken stage. And you know, as you read this passage, it's, it's easy to fall into the condemnation role of, you know, Peter's just getting a, the third degree from Jesus, but I don't see it that way. What I see in this passage is Jesus rekindling Peter's love for himself. <clears throat> and, and Peter realized that he he'd denied Christ and he's, he's realizing the the lack of devotion that he has within him towards Christ. But as he responds and he says, yes, you know my heart, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Peter's given the command, well, feed my sheep. And he's commissioned to go out and, and disciple others. See, Peter came to that place of utter brokenness. No longer the macho man, the leader of the pack, the one that's able to make the right word at the right time, which he often didn't, but he thought he w was doing the right thing. He came to the place of, I'm undone. I can't do it anymore. And it was at that stage Jesus says, now I can use you. Major Ian Thomas often talked about that, that God doesn't expect us to do it ourselves, but it's Christ within us that is the power. And what, if you follow the story of Peter after that, his life was radically changed. He became so bold that he wasn't afraid of a, a, a fireplace um, sharing. But um, behold, you know, be, before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, he says, we can't stop speaking from what we've heard and seen. He became so courageous. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And historians tell us that he was even crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die like his, like his Lord. <coughs> I remember coming to a place, and it's like the layers of an onion, where God does his work of grace in us, where he uh, peels back something and we see who we really are and then we're able to respond to that. I, I think I might have shared, I can't remember, about a year and a half ago, I um, was going to go to the States and I was going to fly out and I ended up uh, finding myself in hospital with blood clots on my lungs. Five days I was going to catch the five days before I was going to catch the plane to America. And it was that close to dying that the doctor came and showed me the x-ray and said, you know, you're lucky to be alive. And I come very close to to meeting my maker. Uh, just for a month a month before that, however, <clears throat> I had what I can only describe as a a mountaintop experience with Christ. A bit like Peter and John when they were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw his glory transfigured there before them and Peter said, this is great, let's build three huts and stay here. You know, you and me and Elijah and Moses, this is, this is where we ought to be. <clears throat> and he got a rebuke from the Lord from that. He said, no, you go down to the valley and that's where I want you to prove me. And I had that experience of where it was just like Jesus was so intimate and so alive. 
uh, it was my pastor had prayed for me. You're running an Alpha course in the church, and and I'd asked for God's blessing, and and He, in His mercy and grace, gave me just a touch of His blessing, where everything I said or did or uh, was just like God's glory and presence was so real. And I didn't want it to stop, but it did. It stopped like that at um, in the hospital, and uh, I said, "Well, you've got my full attention now, Lord." What is it that you're saying? And my next morning quiet time reading was, so you've learned how to walk with me on the mountaintop. Can you walk with me in the valley? And it was like God was really hammering this at me. John 15, abide with me. What I want from you is this radical love. And it just came through again and again. It's been a journey ever since. And I I haven't arrived, not by a long shot. You ask Lynn and my kids. Not by a long shot, but it's, it's wakened something within me, like a, a, a radical love towards him. It, but it came at a broken stage. And, you know, I think we can actually, <clears throat> if we respond in the right way, God can use the messes that we find ourselves in. Sometimes it's not just sin that we need to confess. Sometimes it's a, it's a grieving or a loss or difficult circumstances. But when we give these back to the Lord and ask him to come in, he can do his work of grace within us. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, this is a messianic chapter that foretells the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus himself read it out in Luke 4, 19 at his valedictory service before he went out into ministry. It says that the various aspects of Jesus' ministry, would be, one would be, to bind up the brokenhearted. And that's what he did for Peter. That's what he did for me. And he, he wants to do that for you. And he did that for these people on the road to Emmaus. <coughs> Excuse me. He met them at their broken stage. They were without hope. They thought Jesus, this mighty prophet, would redeem Israel from the Romans. And Jesus was able to come and minister to them. And they were open to hear what it is that he had to say. Well, what did happen? The second stage is what I call the burning stage. Because as they reflected back, they said, didn't our hearts burn when he shared the scriptures, when he explained the scriptures in verse 27? It was like the word was becoming alive in their hearts. And Jesus was explaining, what does it say? Things concerning himself. And that's what has awakened in my heart is, um, is a more of a desire to get to know Christ. And we get to know him through his word. And it's rich. And I can just imagine, just use some poetical license here just for a minute. Can you imagine Jesus talking to these two folk on the road to Emmaus and saying, do you remember the Passover uh, feast? We've just celebrated that. And do you remember where it came back from Egypt, you know, and the, the lentils and the blood you know, it was a symbol of the cross there and the Passover lamb and, and Jesus was that Passover lamb. He died so that we could be freed from, from sin and death. And you remember, and Jesus was saying, you remember the, 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 the veil that was ripped from top to bottom in the temple? And they would say, yeah, I, we remember that. It was awesome. Everything went dark and there was thunder and there was just like something supernatural was happening. Well, do you remember now... You know, the veil is no longer there in the temple because Jesus is now the high priest that we can actually enter into the holiness of God 
and have intimate fellowship with him. Can you imagine Jesus going through the scriptures, going through everything that was happening and, and how it was all becoming alive and making sense? And it's at this burning stage where we, we hunger and thirst and seek after him and who Jesus is that we can have that more intimate relationship with him. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly re- rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of, jo- full of glory. It's a bit like the man that was healed by Jesus who said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It's that kind of a journey where we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to believe, and we continue to seek, continue to ask, to seek and to knock. And as we search his scriptures, as we search for that relationship with him, we have all that he... It's like finding the treasure in our earthen jars there. And it's different from just going about our duties, having our quiet time. You know, I've got to pray, I've got to read my Bible like a good Christian. I've got to come to church. I've got to do my, my duties in the church. It's, it's beyond that. And it comes down to the... I'll give you an illustration. One of our... our actually, our... International director Lewis Sutton told this story, so it's his story. He was in Chad. He's the husband of the wife, Susan, that wrote that book. Um, and he said, in uh, Chad, there's Muslims, it's 99% in the northern area, and um, they have to pray five times a day. He was a doctor and he was doing medical work in Chad, and um, they would call at all times of the morning and night and so he set a rule. He said, well, they have their rule. They can stop them wherever they are in the street or shops or wherever, and they, they pray. So oh, I'm going to pray. And so my quiet time, between 7 and 8, wherever it was, if they want to come and see me, I tell the guard at the door or my wife to say, sorry, just wait until I finish my prayers. Well, they understand that because they're Muslims. They understand the, the need to go through these uh, prayers. Um, but it was interesting. He said, do you remember one guy said to him, Wow, your God must be so severe. You know, you pray for a whole hour. I mean, we, we can just do hours in five minutes. And um, he said, no, it's, it's because I want to. And I thought, oh. And it kind of like the penny dropped. It's, it's a very different God that he was serving. It was, a, it was a love relationship. It wasn't a severe autocratic God that would punish him if he didn't do his ritual. And it's a bit like this story here. This, that's where we need to get to, is that it's not a ritual, it's not a duty, it's a love, that we want to do it because we want to do it. And we come to the third stage, which is the blessed stage, in verse 31 to verse 33. And I, I really love this one. It's, it says, the eyes of the travelers were opened and they saw who Jesus really was. But before that, um, Jesus actually was messing with their heads a bit, I think is in verse 28, it says Jesus acted as if he was going to go further. He acted as if he was going to go further. Why did he do that? Why is it written there in Scripture? I, I think it's because Jesus was waiting for a response from them. And he does that for us as well. He doesn't force himself upon us. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open up the door of their hearts, I will come in and have fellowship with them and them with me. 
That's not for unbelievers. We often use it, don't we, for unbelievers. It's actually written to the Laodicea church. Jesus wants to come in to have fellowship with us, but he will only do it when we invite him to come in. And he only did it for these two travelers when they urged him, it says. They urged him to come in and stay. You can just imagine in that, in that house, in the early part of the evening, when Jesus is sharing with them and they're having this intimate fellowship with Jesus and then he breaks the bread and all of a sudden their eyes are open and they see who he really is. Poof, he's gone. You can just imagine that. He disappeared. But something happened in their hearts. It awoken their spirits and it says at that very hour, now I was trying to calculate it, how long would it have taken them to go back that 11 kilometers back to Jerusalem? It would have taken a few hours, depending on how fast and how fit they were. They probably got there just before midnight and the other 11 disciples there all gathered around and, and they said, we've met him, he's alive. They did something radical. They got up immediately and walked in the middle of the night, I don't know how safe that was, and just ran back to tell the others. But you see, it comes at the very end of the story, that radical response. It was a journey. It began with their brokenness. It began with their hearts being burned with the scriptures, with who Jesus really was, and their commitment to him. And then they were able to do those radical things of getting up and going. And I guess I just want to leave that with you. What is our response to Jesus? Do we radically love him? Will it give a radical response like going to Siberia? I'm serious. We're not joking. We are looking for people to go to places like that now. In the Middle East, Yemen, northern Iraq amongst the Kurds that most unreached people groups are amongst the most unstable countries, most volatile. And we have to be very careful where we send folk, but we are sending them and with special teams and contingency plans and special visas, and we do as much as we can, but we can't guarantee it. And Jesus doesn't guarantee it when we follow him. It's a life of adventure. And it's, it's a radical journey. If we really want to seriously follow him, it's a radical journey. But, oh, gee, it's worth it. And we'll be with him in heaven for eternity and, and enjoy him. But while we're here on earth, my, my, my prayer is, let's, let's pray seriously for more people to go out from Australia. They're sending them from Korea, now from Africa, and now from China. But let's not lose our vision we still need to do Matthew 28, 19 and 20 as well. It's part of our mandate as well as these unreached people, as well as these developing churches in, in countries that are wanting to get on board now. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. It's, it's, um, it's a journey that, that we're all on. Um, and I just want to uh, pray that your love for him will continue to grow. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your radical love towards us and that uh, while we are still sinners, you came from heaven and died for us. You lived a radical life and you've called us to follow you in a radical way.
thank you that you've promised to give us your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us and to show us the way. You've promised to provide us with all of what we need. So much there, Lord. Help us to seek you, to find you in your word as we search for you. And we ask that you would lead us to that place of, of radical obedience, whatever it is. If it is to be a, a sender, a giver, a prayer, or a goer, help us to do it enthusiastically for you, that we might glorify you in all that we say and do. Lord, I pray for your church here at Comet Bay. I pray your blessing to be upon them. Pray for Pastor Nicholas, your blessing to be upon him in his sickness, that you'd restore him to good health and strength, and that you'd bring more people into the church. Bless them with good people and more non-Christians to come and find you and to follow you. So, Lord, I pray your blessing to be upon this church, that they might continue to be a light and salt in this part of the world, but also cross-culturally as they are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to find a little bit more, uh, we have a magazine we put out, um, stories of what's happening around the world in missions, and also a Bible college in Tasmania. Um, I'll be there in July doing some teaching. Uh, it's a great Bible college. If you know of people that are interested in doing some training in missions and um, there's some more literature like that on the back table. So thanks again. And um, John. Well, wasn't exciting to hear about the wonderful work that God's doing up in Mongolia and Asia and through the, through the work of his uh, servants, Jim and the, all his team. I, I, I was absolutely staggered. Four Christians growing to 40,000. <laughs> that, that is power. God sure goes ahead of whack. So I've got a great song just to, to finish up with because I've used this song before in an occasion like this. Men of Faith, great song. So let's be upstanding and...